I remember um, after the bronze medal of Tom Bars in Berlin, um, where I ended up sitting with him waiting for the um, for the, the, the doping test afterwards. And I literally just nudged him and I said, you did it. And he just said, no, we did it. And it's like, yeah. <sighs> it was one little word. I'm getting emotional now, but it's just, it just means so much. This week's episode of Girls With Goals is brought to you by Sport Ireland. For the next few weeks, we're celebrating some of Ireland's most influential women in sport and getting the message out there about participation, leadership and visibility. Hello and welcome to Girls With Goals. For the last few weeks, we've been teaming up with Sport Ireland. We've been profiling some incredible women and getting the message out there about participation, leadership, coaching, visibility, all that good stuff. The last few weeks, we've had Nora Stapleton, we've had Lynn Cantwell, we've also chatted to Dr Una May as well. So if you haven't listened, please do go back and check out the last few episodes because it's been a great learning curve for myself included. This week, I'm delighted to talk all about coaching, so such an interesting and important area of sport. Hayley Harrison is my guest. Hayley works for Sport Ireland Coaching as a coach, education development officer, and is an ICCE global expert in coach development as well. Hayley, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No, of course. It's brilliant. I'm so excited to talk about coaching and Sport Ireland in particular. But before we get into that, Hayley, if you don't mind, I'd love to go back a little bit and hear about your own journey and how you got involved in sport in the beginning. Okay, well, I'm, I'm 52 now. 52, I'm proud of it. But a very long time ago, um, I suppose prior to even primary school, um, I was just, I loved running and jumping and skipping and all of those things. And then when I got to primary school, I suppose I realized that actually I was, I was actually quite good. Um, and I suppose from there, I suppose I got almost like invited to be parts of teams. And, and I loved it. And I, so, I think I was very lucky to be part of uh, or in schools that the PE program was very good. So um, I think my, my, my basic asset was always speed. And I think that's in, it's so important to lots of sports. So yeah, I got involved in lots of sports. The, the ones I wasn't so good at was the water-based ones. So I'm still not the best on the water. But yeah, I suppose that was the basics of where I first got in, involved in sports. Um, yeah, and I was an international by the time I was 16 in three different sports. That's it. I love so, how you just yeah. I love how you just slip that in there and and I was an international by the time I was 16 in three different sports. No big deal. Like it was just so gradually placed in there, but that's such a huge achievement to uh, uh, represent your country, I think in in any kind of sport. It's uh, it takes a massive amount of dedication to get there and it's interesting. I was actually talking to some of the other guests that we've had over the last few weeks about being sporty and about what that means to young girls and I think it's such an interesting topic of conversation because it sounds like you you took to sport straight away and so that became like a part of who you were and a part of your identity. Did you ever kind of think about what being a sporty girl was like or do you look back on, you know, playing sport at such a young age and feel like it influenced the rest of your life and career? Um, it certainly influenced the rest of my life and career, but I don't look back at it and think that it was something different or special it was just something that, that I did and that I was good at. Um, 
And again, I think I was lucky in the schools that I went to and the people that were around me. And they just supported me and, and other people, really, in the things that they were good at and the things that they were interested in. So I had friends who, you know, went went to Oxford and were English people and they were public speakers. And, and that was their passion and sport was mine. Um, and we were just encouraged. And I think that's I think that was probably a more important part about my junior years. And and certainly my family, especially my mum, was just so supportive in whatever we wanted to do. You just go and try and be the best that you can, irrespective of what that is. And I think that was probably my background. And that's that's what influenced what I do um, back then and what I do now. And just in terms of kind of, you know, looking back on your early years and then how you have obviously become like such a, a talented coach, um, was it something that you took to straight away? So I, I've always found stories fascinating of uh, former athletes who are now coaches and how actually they were natural coaches from the get-go and they always used to coach their teammates, you know, whether that was in a team environment or individual sports. So before you became, you know, I suppose qualified as a coach was was there something about the nature of you as a as an athlete and within sport that kind of drew you to coaching um I decided by the age of 12 I wanted to be a PE teacher so I think that was probably the more influencing factor it was that wanting to teach and I so I was a sports person but I wanted to teach and that I suppose that became a natural mix so, yeah, I was a bit the same as, as just as you were saying there. I, I was coaching my teammates. I was coaching almost like at a regional level by the time I was sort of 16. Um, and it just it just interested me. I, I was interested in in helping people become better. And and if I could be part of that, then how fantastic was that? Um, and I suppose that's that's where I suppose the love of it kind of started. So I was still, I, I retired quite early from sport. I retired at 24, um, but I was coaching from when I was 18. So I'd been coaching for a good while before I retired from sport. And just for our audience, like I didn't even, we didn't even get into the sports that you were involved in. So kind of, because I, I feel like we're going to talk about that a little bit more with uh, when we drill down into your coaching career. But what were your sports? And yeah, that is quite young, I suppose, to be retiring. So can you talk us through a little bit of your um, athletic career before we get into coaching? Okay, so the the sports that I did before athletics was athletic, was was hockey and netball. So I was I was in the English team for the netball, and it was the British team underage teams for the hockey. Um, I, I think I was a, probably a much better netball player than hockey. Just on the hockey, the pitch is so big, and if you're quick, um, that, I think quite frankly that was probably why I was in that hockey team. I don't think it was purely because of my hockey prowess but I was a good netballer but my my knees and my ankles were not always the best and the netball at the time was on a very hard court they're on sprung courts now so it's a little bit easier on the joints but for me that was the deciding factor really um I got an eye injury from hockey when I was 17 and it took me a good while to get back from that and my athletics coach said you know, you you are good at these three sports. In fact, you're good at a whole range of sports, but you can't keep doing this many. What you know, you have to decide what you're going to do. And I was kind of shocked at the time. I was like, no, I just want to do 
as many as I can. And he said, no, if you're going to be good, you have to specialize at this stage. Um, like it was great that I'd done so many sports as a youngster, but now I had to specialize. Um, and I was quite upset at the time thinking like, how dare he tell me I have to choose. Mm. Um, but it was absolutely the right thing. And I remember him saying to me, he said, if, you know, go away, think about it, chat to your parents, chat to, you know, your, your teachers, chat to whoever and make a decision. And if it's athletics, I'll see you when you come back. And if it's not, have a nice life. And it's like, oh, no, <laughs> you can't tell me this. <laughs> I know. And um, it was. I felt it was brutal at the time and I was really annoyed at him. Um, but it was probably the best thing because it did help me focus and really figure out what was I doing and why. Mm. And like I said, I think for the hockey, I, I was a good player, but I think it was my speed that was helpful to the team, not actually my hockey prowess. Um, I think netball, I was good, but I just figured that on those hard courts, I might only get one or two years before my joints would just give way, even at the age of sort of 17. So I went with athletics more out of um, sort of deciding that the other two were not going to be a goer. Therefore, what's left? Well, athletics was left. So um, I went with athletics. It probably wasn't the best real reason to go with athletics, but it was literally, I got rid of the two quite easily. So therefore, athletics. Yeah, so, yeah. but that's, I mean, it's such, <laughs> it's an incredible story. And I think it's, you know, it almost seems like you were like push into a corner slightly but I feel like the athletics coach kind of knew what what he was doing and in, in giving you that advice because clearly that was the right choice for you and it's so funny to be so young and to be making such a calculated decision in terms of kind of looking at the future as well that's tough when it comes to being an athlete and kind of thinking about well I might only get a couple of years out of this so which one would be more beneficial long term like for yeah. a 17 year old to make that call it's 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 very good. Like, I mean, fair play for doing that. Uh, but I suppose like <laughs> moving on from that then, you know, you said that you retired at 24. So how was that move into coaching then? Was that a very natural move for you to make? And I suppose, do you kind of feel like your career was leading up to that in some way? I mean, obviously you mentioned earlier that you wanted to be a PE teacher by the age of 12. So it feels very like it was written in the stars that that was the path you were going to go down. Um. Well, you would think so. It, when, when, when you tell the story, it, it sounds as though it should be, but it kind of wasn't. Because at the age of 12, I was convinced I wanted to be a PE teacher. But then a whole load of people tried to convince me that being a PE teacher wasn't the best thing for me to do. And I could go and do a whole range of different things. And I was kind of persuaded out of it, even though my heart was still in it. But I was persuaded out of it. And I tried all kinds of things. I was, so yeah, I, I went and tried all kinds of professions and still came back to the fact that I wanted to be a PE teacher. But it took me four years wow. to come back to where I wanted to be. And I remember standing in the kitchen, almost like arguing with my mom. And it's like, yes, but I want to do it. I really want to do it. I want, I want to be a PE teacher. Now I reamed off all these reasons that I wanted to be a PE teacher. And she went, okay. It's like, okay is that your only answer <laughs> like okay um so it, that it did take me a while and I th the fact that it took so long for me to really realize that that's exactly what I wanted to be I did feel as though yeah that's the courage of my conviction that's what I wanted to be so that was the PE teacher bit in me 
So then again, you'd think it was logical that I would just step straight from from competing into coaching. But the reason I ended up um, retiring from competing was because I, I had a quite a serious knee injury. And I had I had thought that I'd still be able to go on. Maybe I would change events. And I tried changing events and I just wasn't interested. I was I was a 400 meter hurdler um, and I, I tried multi events. I tried the 400 flat and I just kind of wasn't interested. So I went back to being a 400 hurdler for the year on the basis. And it was the sole basis that if my knee gave way, I would retire. And I promised my coach that and I promised my surgeon that he'd already done three operations on me at that point. And um, and it gave way. Wow. And so I, I said, OK, I'll retire. That's fine. And I just thought I'd be able to go straight into coaching and and I could in some respects, I, I could I could definitely coach the men. That didn't bother me. I could coach youngsters. But what I found I couldn't do was coach other elite female athletes. And the reason I couldn't is because I was inwardly jealous. I almost like didn't want them to be better than me. Now, oh. I was I was an OK athlete. I wasn't amazing. I was an international, but I wasn't like Worlds and Olympic Games. Um, but I didn't want them to run better than me. And that's silly. And and so because of that, I stepped away. Um, and it's the only time in 30 odd years that I stepped away from coaching until I was confident that I could coach somebody to be better than I was. Mm. Um, and so even though I was OK with the men and I was OK with the youngsters and I was OK with a whole, I thought, no, if there's part of me that doesn't want to coach one particular sector, that's not, that is not a good, that's not been a good coach. So yeah. I stepped away yeah. until I was confident that I could truly give everything I had to make somebody like a lot better than I was. But I mean, it's, incre um, it's incredibly so honest. Yeah, it's incredibly honest for you to kind of, you know, even admit that because I feel like that is something that is probably something that a lot of coaches would struggle with but uh it's it's hard to admit that I guess because you're you know if you're putting so much hours and so much work into essentially somebody else's career for a former athlete that has to hurt on some level so it's it's almost refreshing to hear that from an elite coach that that was something that you actually had to deal with yourself and then once you got over that, it enabled you to to become the coach that you wanted to be, I suppose, yourself. I mean, I don't think you would have ever been able to return if you even had some of that feeling left in you, am I no. right? Exactly. And that's why But I, it, I didn't expect myself to feel that way because it was I chose to retire. I didn't I didn't expect to not be able to coach. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a bit of a shock and I was annoyed at myself at the time. Um, but I think you're right. I think it definitely make, made me a better coach because now a hundred, as soon as I got over that hundred percent, it's trying to make people way better than I ever could have been. Yeah, which is, you know, the sign of a, a fantastic coach as well. Um, you know, there was actually, there was a woman in sport coaching survey that was conducted there last year by Sport Ireland. And I was looking through the research and just really fascinating insights. I suppose, you know, from your point of view, what did the research set out to achieve 
um, in the first place? Like, what were the goals of conducting this research? Um, obviously, like, we can talk about, you know, what it found and stuff, but what was the importance of doing research like that for an organisation like Sport Ireland? Okay, so the reason that it was conducted was literally to try and find more find out more about the female coaches in this country. You know, who are they? What do they do? How long do they do it for? How experienced are they? What? So a lot of it was just something like demographic. Who are they? But then the more important part really was how are they, how are they feeling about what they do and how can we help in the future? So it was from, from my perspective, it was those three parts. It's who are you? How do you feel about what you do and how can we help you become better and more supported in the future? So those for me, those are the, the bits that we were trying to find out. And what did you find out? Who are they? How do they feel? And, you know, are, how are they going to be supported in the future, I suppose? Because it is one of those things that pops up in news cycles, like every now and again, when we talk about women in sports, we talk about the lack of, you know, gender equality when it comes to coaching, when uh, a female coach is promoted to an incredible position or even promoted to, you know, coaching a, a men's team, it's all over the papers. And it's like, this is fantastic. This is happening. I suppose doing this kind of research and really talking about it is that we want that to be the norm. We always don't want it to be celebrated because, you know, we should have a lot of women coaches out there, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I suppose from my point of view, maybe my upbringing, maybe my background, I've never really considered myself as a, if you want to call it a female coach, mm. I'm, I'm just a coach. And I think that's really where we need to get it to. We need to get people to be thinking of themselves as coaches and not female coaches. So, but I think in order to get there, we needed to do this piece of research. So in answer to your question, what did we find? We, we had almost 3,000 respondents. Um, most of those, I think over about three quarters of those were active coaches. So in other words, coaches who are actually coaching now and then the rest of them were were also in a smaller but a equally important group as coaches who are qualified and have coached in the past but are not now and they're important to us because to find out like why are they not coaching anymore what is it that stopped them so the two groups were re really important to us the ones that are, are coaching, we found out, you know, that they, they put a lot of time and effort into the coaching. On average, the elite coaches, they're coaching what, more than nine hours a week. The non-elite coaches are, are coaching, like, say, eight hours a week. That's a lot of time. Um, like the, the average age is probably younger than, than the men, sort of in, the, in their 40s. Um, we found out what the barriers to them coaching are. Um, and even though there's there's research out there from other countries about female coaches, while should expect to be able to presume that they might be the same, until you do the research, we don't know. So yeah. we found out pretty much that it, it that it is very similar to other countries. A lot of the time, it's it, it's family commitments, it's personal commitments, it's life outside coaching, because at the moment coaching is not really a profession across all sports it isn't some so 
you know, your likes of your equestrian, your swimming, you can be a, a swimming coach, you can be um, an equestrian coach, and that will be your job. But for the vast majority of sports in Ireland, it's a volunteer profession. So people are very professional in how they conduct themselves as coaches, but it is not a profession. Um, and until that begins to shift, it makes it very difficult for, for any coach really to balance life and coaching. Yeah. But what we found in Ireland, like most of the countries, is that the females do struggle a little bit more with trying to find that balance. Yeah, I mean, it's totally fair as well, because obviously, you know, life is, is sometimes hard to balance. And, you know, I've seen firsthand the amount of commitment that goes into coaching, no matter what the hours are. You know, I, I feel like if especially if it's a sport and, you know, people wouldn't be coaching it if it wasn't something that they were passionate about. But I suppose what we're trying to do with the messaging of what we're getting out there, you know, with this series in particular is talk about the kind of positives and talk about the opportunities. So from your point of view as a coach, you know, what would you say to, to these women in particular who might be, you know, battling with uh, managing that balance or thinking about, you know, a wage or thinking about payments, uh, you know, which can be tough to balance. What would you say to them in terms of the opportunities that you get from coaching in general? I think the opportunities to coach have always been there. They're just not always been almost like advertised and visible. And I think that's the bit that we really need to work on is to make sure that it's not something that's hidden. Yeah. You know, that, that somebody's got to really go and hunt for that information. If we can make that more um, achievable, not achievable, more um, visible so that it's not difficult to find out how you can go and become a coach. Um, and in terms of what are the benefits of it, I think we all have to work with what we can. So if we know we've got an, an hour a week that we can give to coaching, then that's what we've got to try and give. We've got to give the hour a week. There's no point in saying, oh, yeah, I can give eight hours a week when, when you can't because you're, you're, not, you're not going to survive even that one hour when you said you're going to try and do eight. You, you'll, you'll end up getting lost. So I think it's about being honest. I think it's about making sure that the NGBs and the clubs are working with the coaches about what's possible and not what's something that's a bit pie in the sky. We're looking to see, right, what can we do? How can we do it? And how can we support you? And I think if we can get that across coming out of that research and if we can get the NGBs and the clubs to be thinking in that way, then female coaches, just like male coaches, can go to those NGBs and to the clubs and be honest and say, this is who I am. This is what I can offer. Yes, I would like to maybe work towards X, Y and Z, but this, this is me. This is what I have now. Um, and I think if we can start with that basis, then we can create a much more open and honest coaching system for both men and women. But I said the research has shown us that the women are just not as confident to go out there and get it. It's not that they don't have the abilities. I don't believe that for one minute. I think it's just a little bit of confidence and the visibility not being there. So if we can in some way help provide that for these female coaches, I think there's a really, really nice, lovely, big space for them. Absolutely. It's it's great to hear you talk so passionately about it as well. And, you know, obviously we're we're talking about accessing those female coaches in order to bring that visibility for them. But, you know, 
slightly taking gender out of it and going back to what you said about your own identity and you being a coach and, and a coach first and foremost, you know, you've trained Olympians, world championships. I mean, what, in your opinion, makes a great coach? I think the great coaches work with what they have. So if there's no point in almost like people copying other people because we're all coaching different people. So as coaches, yeah, we need to make sure we are increasing our knowledge. We're increasing a whole lot of things. But the bottom line is you are coaching who you are coaching. So like I've said, I, I'm, I'll give my programs to anybody, but you're not coaching the people that I am. So my, I suppose what I think makes a great coach is those people who spend an awful lot of time trying to get themselves better as coaches, but then are able to really apply that to the people or the teams that they are coaching and really focusing on them and trying to make them so much better than, than anybody else if you're working in that high performance area. Um, Equally, you've got coaches who are phenomenal coaches of children and the teenagers. And like, I mean, I, I can coach youngsters and teenagers. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. But there are people so much better than me, you know. And I think it's about really being proud of who you are and what your skills are and matching those skills to the people that you coach. You know, if you've got somebody who's really good at coaching children and they say they want to be a high performance coach, that's a real disconnect, you know? Mm. So either if they're going to be high performance coaches, we need to help them become high performance coaches, or you are an amazing coach of a child, just, wow, that's amazing. And just be proud of that, yeah. you know? So I think we're not very good at being able to sort of say, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is where my skills best suit. Um, and I think the coaches who can say that, they're the best coaches. Absolutely. I, I'm not going to name drop, but I always think as well, like when you've kind of grown up in a in a sporting background, like I'll never forget my very first coach. Like what you were saying there, he was just so fantastic at coaching young people. And I, when I think back at the absolute nightmare that I used to make his life, like he would try and get us to run <laughs> laps and I'd be like, absolutely not, that's not going to happen. And by the end of it, I was running laps until I just couldn't see straight. But I mean, the sign of a good coach, he made us do things that we didn't necessarily want to do, but they were so important for what we were trying to do. And I just remember always wanting to go to coaching because it was so much fun and for somebody young in sport that just you know it, it brings it to a different level in terms of if you're enjoying the work that you're doing then it just it just makes it all worthwhile but I, I guess you know you kind of mentioned it there about dedication as well you know commitment and dedication to a job like coaching it takes you know, it takes a lot of time as well. And everything you just said, you know, it's it's working on other people's performance. So, I mean, I suppose from your experience, is it worth it? I feel like after what you've described, that's kind of an easy answer. <laughs> of course it's worth it. But for people who want to get involved, I mean, it it has to be worth it, right? It It is absolutely worth it. But there's no point in doing it if your heart's not in it. Because... You know, there's there's ups and downs, and and most of the time, there's more downs than ups. 
you know, and if you don't love what you do, it's very hard to ride those downs out. So you really need to be in an area and, and, and feel supported and just feel comfortable in that space. That doesn't mean to say that you don't want to get better. I think we all have to strive to be better. Um, the day I'm not trying to be better than yesterday, I need to retire. Um, but I do think we we just need to have that love of it that strives all the time. And then for the times when everything comes together and it's a really great day, those single days or those single moments are worth sometimes years of things not going great for that one. And and yeah, so I, I yeah, you knew the answer to the question. I absolutely <laughs> think it's worth it. Um, you know, those really are highlights of I'd imagine my life, you know, um, if, if I live to be 100, I'd still imagine apart from like the birth of my children and, you know, their graduations and wedding days and things like that. They these highlights of the athletes that you coach are just amazing. I remember um, after the bronze medal of Tom Bars in Berlin, um, where I ended up sitting with him waiting for the um for the, for the doping test afterwards. So, you know, you want to go and celebrate with family, but you kind of can't because you have to go and get, you know, the drug testing done. And I remember sitting with him in this stark room, you know, and I literally just nudged him and I said, you did it. And he just said, no, we did it. And it's like, wow. <sighs> you know, and it's just, it was one little word. I'm getting emotional now, but it's just, it just means so much, you know, and that one little sentence was worth, I don't know, years of things going up and down so yeah I think for all coaches no matter who you're coaching you know um there there's just those parts that maybe nobody will ever see nobody will ever mention but to you as a coach they are just brilliant and to to have that feeling and to be part of somebody else's journey it's just it is amazing it is it is fantastic that's incredible. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, like literally listening to you there talking about, you know, bronze medal and I'm talking about my poor squash coach who I used to give hell to for doing laps. But I suppose it's it's all dependent, you know, a bronze medalist or not. I mean, that's the impact that coaches can have in, in people's lives, you know. So it's incredible to hear those stories. And thank you so much for sharing that. I guess, you know, for anybody who's listening and for anybody who's watching this as well, um, where can they get more information and, and how can they get more involved? And maybe if somebody is listening to this who's always thought about coaching before, has had a deep love for a sport, but haven't known the avenues and the pathways to go in order to make that happen, what would the advice be from you? Okay, so there's a few options. So the, the, the biggest and obvious option is your national governing body of sport. Now, depending on how big your particular sport is, um, going straight to them might be the, the obvious and logical thing to do. If you're in a very big sport, then going to your local club is probably more sensible. Um, the other option then, so if, if, if one's your national governing body, um, and, and all of those can be found on the Sport Island website, so the NGB unit. Um, or you can go to your local club if one exists. The other one is your local sports partnership. And they have a whole load of information in relation to local clubs and things that are going on. So three, three ways there. So na your national governing body, 
your local club if you have one and your local sports partnership. Incredible. And we're going to put all the information in the description box below so that everybody can go and get all of that information as well. Hayley, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and thank you so much for sharing your journey. You got me all emotional. I miss sport. I can't (laughs) wait until it's all back open. And we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And I say, hopefully that research really will make a difference to the visibility of female coaches and support for them going going forward. This week's episode of Girls With Goals is brought to you by Sport Ireland. For the next few weeks, we're celebrating some of Ireland's most influential women in sport and getting the message out there about participation, leadership and visibility.